Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 80th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that can't wait to conjure up some new commander brews. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic Singles and deal the product with shipping in both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good afternoon, everybody. Glad to be here. Looking forward to episode 80. All sorts of interesting topics to cover today. Our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today, MTGPrice.com, to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. We're, we're, we're inching closer to living up to that hype with uh, our devastation cards finally making it into the database shortly ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So, so this week we have a show in four segments. Our uh, segment one is our top movers. We'll look at the cards that have seen the largest prices price increases this w- week. Segment two is our cards to watch. We will talk about the cards that James and I think have a chance to rise in price. Segment three is our metagame weekend review. We'll be touching both on Grand Prix Minneapolis and the Star City Open that was here in Syracuse. And finally, segment four, our topic of the week, we'll be discussing all of the Commander 2017 spoilers. So let's jump right in at the bottom. The first card this week is Sigil Tracer from Morning Tide. We're looking at the foil copies specifically, jumped from about 6 bucks to 15 for a tidy little profit. This is going to be one of a series of cards this week that moved because of the Wizards tribe. Um, we knew that we were getting cats and dragons and uh, for a while, vampires we found out a couple weeks ago. Wizards was the one we learned about most recently, and it seemed like there wasn't as much excitement around the Wizards tribe, but now that we're starting to see the cards spoiled, I think that people are picking up on it a little bit more, and they're, you're starting to see some action on those cards finally. Yeah, I mean, I picked pick when everybody said it was clerics i said it was wizards and because of that managed to pick up a whole bunch of cheap foil wizards at gp toronto and and at shops around town leading up so i'm looking forward to seeing if there's enough uh wizard demand uh on the foil side of things to get some of these out of my spec box and out into packages yep i scored several wizard foils as well just kind of hedging and it worked out although i'm still sad for my pile of clerics well, they'll get around to clerics eventually, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, what's next, James? So the, the Masterpiece specs uh, roll right along. Trinisphere moving from, in theory, 30 to $70 this week. Um, this one had a really deep inventory pool versus the others, and it has an absolutely shallow uh, demand curve. So this has to be somebody just deciding that they like any Masterpiece series invention um, under 50 bucks. Um, I think you're going to have trouble unloading large volumes of these. I think I actually did pick up a couple around 25 over the course of the winter just because they were cheap on eBay. Um, but, you know, I haven't even bothered posting them yet because I'm dubious that there's even enough demand to make sure that I sell them. Yeah, I 
in general, I have been a fan of the masterpieces, but this one in particular, it was uh, especially difficult to support given that nobody anywhere needs this card. Um, and it's going to run into the same problem that some of these others ones do. Like, God, I don't know what, like, uh, there Champions are a couple. Helm. Well, even Black. that's like EDH playable. Black Vice, right, Black is a good Vice. one. Yeah. Yeah. Just like there's like six people on the planet that need these, right? So whatever. Uh, next on our list I mean, is. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. We should at least touch on the the decks that that can get there, right? The uh, Trinosphere did show up um, in Red Green Ponza Brews. Um, it's a dark steel card, so it's legal and modern. Um, but mostly it's played in in vintage, where it's a dominant a piece of the dominant Ravager shops builds that could easily get banned out of the format at some point, since everybody seems to think shops is eternally too powerful yeah yeah i don't know i mean i suppose there's a universe where this works out well well i mean maybe the people are able to sell these i'm not saying they won't i'm just saying it was a little riskier especially given some of the other options out there well i mean i think i put this into the camp of the same camp as the next card uh ring of immortals is a legends card that has literally zero demand don't worry about what it does because it doesn't matter um it's like a six dollar card prior to somebody deciding to scoop up what they could find left on the internet now it's supposedly fifteen dollars that's 150 percent gain but this is the same kind of thing you would not want to be holding a hundred copies of these cards if you got two three four whatever and you're willing to sit on them for a year and you're just going to be the lowest price person on tcg you'll probably unload them because there, there there are people that like my dad that are out, that were out there for you know five ten years trying to finish off sets um, and so long as those people are hunting around to, you know, fill in the final slots in their binder, then, you know, there will be some market for the, for these reserve, bad reserve list cards, just like there's going to be, uh, a market for people that are trying to complete sets of the masterpieces. Um, but it, this is not, you know, a scenario where you want to be super deep, um, shallow investment on stuff with shallow demand is, is the way you want to match that up. Sure. And I, I guess this is probably a good point to touch on this since this is going to pop up over and over on our list for today. And I, I'm in the same boat as if you own a couple of these in near mint shape, um, you know, these look great on this. They look great on the, the percentage sheet, right? Like they our top gainer this week is one of these cards that shows this humongous percentage. And like it, these are these have that problem of looking good on paper, but the reality is that finding copies for the first price and then actually being able to sell through them and get the money in your pocket can be very difficult. And occasionally you will you will get people to buy copies, especially maybe early on where people are like in a frenzy to try and grab a copy they need or think that they're getting in on the train on the way up type of thing. So it's not to say that nobody profits on this, but they're generally very easy to get caught holding a lot of baggage with these um i've still got like i don't know 20 or 30 suchi that i bought and suchi is arguably one of the most useful cards on the reprint list that like isn't you know power or whatever like it's a good card it's a genuinely good card and it's it's not reprintable um and it's not moving anywhere so I, i guess the idea is just it's not to say that you can't make money on these but they tend to be nothing i'm really eager in because the timeline before you get paid can be and it is not always way too long okay so now that we've 
hammered on that. Uh, our next card is Empress Galena from Invasion. Um, I know that you're looking this up right now because we, of course, all had to as well. This is a blue merfolk, um, double blue tap game control of target legend or legendary permanent. Uh, started. We're looking at the foils on this guy, on this gal. Started at 22, now showing prices in the $70 range, but I don't know what that really means. The market price is still 25. There's one English foil on TCG for 100, so it's sort of in the air at the moment. Um, the reason that this is jumping is because we believe that Planeswalkers are going to be given officially given the legendary super type, subtype, subtype, super type. Now, because it ha- it's not super type, it was super type, it would pump Tarmogoyf, so subtype, which will mean that Empress Galena can steal Planeswalkers. Uh, pretty, pretty simple on the surface. Yeah, I mean, that seems like that's going to be pretty solid facing down the plethora of Atraxa, Planeswalker decks, and EDH. Yeah. What else you got for us? So Planar Gate was also on that list in a card um, that uh, I spent too long arguing about on Twitter the other day. Um, it, it also feel, find, finds itself in the same camp of cards that, despite it supposedly going from 25 to $85 this week, if you've got a couple of these, maybe five, maybe six of these, um, that you managed to get in under 20 bucks and you managed to unload them anywhere in the 40 to $60 range, somewhere below what market supposedly is, that's a totally fine spec. But it's not the kind of thing that you need to get, you want to be getting excited about and redirecting large amounts of funds because A, there's not really all that much supply out there to drain, and B, there's definitely not the demand to support you being able to sell back through the stuff that you pick up because most of the people that are picking up these crappy reserve list cards are other speculators who have latched onto the idea that the reserve list is a great place to park money so it's all a bunch of it's a huge circle jerk where a bunch of people are never actually playing these cards they're just passing them from spec box to spec box and that's very different than what happened with the masterpiece i mean when we go out and as a community in MTG Finance and combined with the players that are just purely picking them up for uh, EDH demand or casual play or collectibles, um, and we pick up 20, 30 Masterpiece Soul Rings, yeah, we put a dent in the market, but we're really just accelerating a process that was already going on. Only targeted Masterpiece Soul Ring in the first place because its inventory was so much lower than the other Masterpieces, demonstrating that as the top card in EDH, it was going to drain the fastest. Um, that's just not the case for cards like Planar Gate that see super occasional demand in like big mana decks in EDH. Um, but, you know, pe- people showed me receipts of, of instances of them selling the card through at a higher price point than they bought it. So, you know, can't shout it down too hard. <laughs> yeah, you know, congrats to the people who made money on it. But um, I feel like that is a exceedingly slim number of people in the greater scheme of things. So just keep that in mind. Um, let's see, uh, next up on our list is Void Mage Prodigy from, uh, Onslaught. Also, it was time shifted and had an FN, uh, Magic Player Reward version. This is the Kai Bude, uh, Invitational card for you trivia aficionados. It went, the non-foils, or I'm sorry, the foils jumped from $4 to 14 um, for about a 250% gain, this is again another Wizards card. I don't love Void Mage Pro- Prodigy here. Uh, it's kind of expensive. Well, it's not expensive. It's you. You basically, if you sacrifice another any wizard and pay double blue, you get to counter a spell. So you sack your wizards 
to play counterspell essentially that's fine i guess if you if you're able to generate a lot of mana and a lot of bodies it's pretty solid um good onboard trick i suppose uh the non-foils it looks like are still available in the two dollar ish range although inventory is certainly starting to dry up on the onslaught copies time spiral there's probably uh that's getting dry too so the non-foils on this may actually be primed for a jump to five or six bucks but at a two dollar buy-in i'm not sure you even really care that much Uh, but again part of the wizard type yeah, I mean, when you didn't have a Wizards Tribal deck that was likely to be popular, um, I don't think these the foil 2 and $3 Wizards were very exciting. But keep in mind that Counterspell is the second most played blue card in EDH, um, and this gives you a whole is bunch of... Really? on Yeah, and and this gives you a whole bunch of onboard uh, Counterspells that potentially can be abused with some kind of recursion method. Um, you know, anything if, you, if you're partnering with Black... Uh, which it looks like you will be, given that these are Grixis wizard commanders we just got, um, then graveyard shenanigans where your wizards are coming back and doing the deed over and over again seem like uh, they might get there. I, I bought a bunch of these in foil at GP Toronto somewhere around 3 to $4 range, and I have a feeling they're going to get unloaded in the 15 to 20 range pretty easily. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know if you could sell 40 of these, but you could definitely sell five. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, why don't you tell our listeners about our next card, James? And yeah, congratulations in advance to any of you that sell this. Yeah, this one I need to see a receipt on, folks. I, Grim Monolith foils are ex, you know exceedingly rare on the market right now. They're rare in Europe, they're rare here, they're rare in Europe, and they're rare everywhere. Um, anybody that happens to have one of these sitting around in a binder, in theory, the, the lowest priced copy is now $2,000. It used to be $500. Um, but there's still sub $500 copies available on uh, eBay occasionally via auction. And, you know, I don't think this posts up at 2000 I think this is a statistical error until it proves itself out. Um, and the reason for that is it's not a card that is used um, in competitive decks. This is an EDH card. Um, I don't think somebody's going to spend $2,000 to add a good but not game altering mana rock to their deck in a format where they can get dollar 50 silverings right that is certainly this card is awesome but no one's selling it at two thousand dollars i think we've kind of found a a soft ceiling of around like three to five hundred dollars maybe on foils of cards like this i mean and and that might be the highest cradle has to be considered like the the ceiling right yeah and i just sold a, a, a perfect admittedly perfect um judge foil guys cradle that we that i picked up in europe for 425 a couple months ago uh for 700 um just a few days ago so you know these cards do get purchased for edh but it's probably only the top five percent of edh players you know the guys who have deep pockets and and like to have collect and build multiple decks and that's kind of like their version of magic the hobby um that are going after this stuff and they don't do it all that often right like they're not buying 500 hundred dollar cards every week it's you know a treat to themselves every once in a while so 500 hundred dollar grim monoliths will occasionally sell very dubious that a two thousand dollar copy will or anything even close to that will sell so if you manage to unload one of these above 500 shout out to us later about what the price is on twitter so we can have some visibility on it sure yeah i'd be interested to hear that uh, okay, next up on our list is Damping Field, also from Antiquities, just like the other cards we're talking about. This one was a much smaller jump. Uh, well, it started it started under a dollar. Um, you know, our resource is showing three. There's 
a one play set of near mint copies at 13. Um, again, the same story as all the rest of these legends cards, antiquities, that type of thing. So not much more to cover there, I think. This, this is an enchantment for two and a white that says players may not untap more than one artifact during each of their own untap phases. Yeah, it's very, very powerful and effective. Yeah, where good, are you, where, uh, where a good worst stony that? silence. <laughs> when I when I eBay searched it, a uh, a graded copy came up, <laughs> which is amusing. Those those graded damping fields. Okay, what do you what else you got for us? I like this one a lot better. Supreme Inquisitor from Onslaught, another foil wizard that's likely to be of use. Uh, went from two dollars to eleven dollars in foil for a four hundred and fifty percent gain. Um, again, Wizards looking like it's going to be one of the two most popular uh, tribes coming out of this Commander release. So, uh, what does Supreme Inquisitor add to the deck, you ask? <laughs> the ability on this card is you tap five untapped Wizards you control, search target player's library for up to five cards, and remove them from the game. Then that player shuffles his or her library. I don't know. Is, 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 that, is that good enough for the Wizard deck? I guess if you're using something crazy like Paradox Engine, maybe you can mill somebody out. Yeah, that one to me feels like it's really reaching. It is not a impressive card at all. Uh, just I don't know. Doesn't the, it, there are better uses of your wizards? Yeah, I think I mistook that wizards. for one of the, for one of the other cards that's on my desk. So <laughs> I'm taking back my endorsement. I think Jason Olt would agree here that this is probably not going to get there in the wizard deck. No, no, no. Let's move on. Uh, our next card is Richardon Footpad from Mercadian Masks Foils. Jumped from about $5 to 25 The best I can tell is that this is Paper Popper because it is a, or, yeah, I think it's Popper, right? The fo- um, it's, But it's, it's an uncommon. No, no, no. This whole series is all EDH stuff. Um, the whole idea here is that everybody at the table has to pay the cost or lose permanence, right? But, like, did something happen with this recently? All of these got targeted over the last couple months, and we've seen multiple uh, of the cards in the series moving. Uh, Cut Purse, Footpad, and Brigand have all moved. Um, One of them makes you pay two, one of them makes you pay one, and one of them makes you pay three. And the idea here is that these are just uh, super useful in, in EDH with any commander that can bring this thing in and out of play. So like in Brago or whatever, right? Uh, well, okay. I, I vaguely remember talking about some of these, but uh, sure. I mean, you play Brago, right? Would you run these? Um, I ha- I don't have them in the deck right now, but I suppose it is probably worth considering. I'm looking at it now in that light, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe. Right, because if you're if you're blinking them in and out at instant speed, and you're timing that with when people have their mana tapped out, that becomes very rattlesnakey, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not terrible. I mean, you know, an EDH, them getting to pick what permanent it is, they just like toss a Hornet Queen token. And a lot of times it's not very effective. Or you're giving them the opportunity to sack something that they want to get rid of that they haven't been able to, which certainly comes up uh, sometimes. But all in all, I think it's it's not terrible, I think is the strongest uh, praise I can give for it at the moment. Also pretty unlikely to see a reprint anytime soon, right? Uh, yeah, I would say all of these are, they're probably not in a rush to bring back because these are some miserable mechanics. Anyone who's played against, uh, Rishadon, uh, no, Rustic Study will tell you how annoying these things are. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got 
some of each of them that I pulled out of the Super Collection and a few that I bought locally that I'm trying to sell on eBay. So if I manage to unload them, I'll let you guys know. Okay. Uh, what do you got for us? Tolerian Winds from 7th Edition. The foil's moving from 350 to $20. This is, uh, again, on the back of the Locust uh, God who loves Wheel of Fortune effects because they put all sorts of... Uh, what do you call them? Are they locust tokens? Or are they insect tokens? Uh, insect tokens. Yeah, put a pile of insect tokens on, on the battlefield. And any of these uh, wheel effects that haven't been printed in a while, the foils are relatively rare as is. And if Locust God wants them, then away they go. Yep. Yep, same same deal. Um Next on our list is Jalum Tome. I'm getting all the boring ones here. Jalum Tome is... I think, uh, I think it's Jalum Tome, but sure. Jalum, Jalum, Jalum. I don't know. There's whatever. Uh, it's three mana artifact, <laughs> pay two, tap, draw a card, then discard a card. There are a ton of printings. This is actually printed in Commander 2014. It's worth nothing except the Antiquities version, which is apparently now worth $14, although I question that as well. Um same story as the rest of these legends and antiquity cards really yeah i mean this this might be sitting around in a binder at your local store if you want to snap it up at the previous price of two dollars or whatever go ahead it certainly can't hurt you any buy-in cost is low you could probably unload it to a buy list down the road for more than you paid as part of some bulk order you're sending in or whatever but again i i just i don't like this but this reserve list nonsense because it's impossible to scale it um, eventually, all of these cards, even the most terrible, uh, are going to be at price points below, uh, above what the market can support. Everybody who's got some is going to get a chance to filter them through, and then we're all going to get to forget about this and move on. Yeah. All right. Finish us off for the week, James. In a similar vein, Stone Calendar from the Dark is, in theory, a $30 card now when it used to be $3. That's a thousand percent gain. Um, I need to see copies of this move anywhere near that price before i will support that this was a real move <laughs> yep also uh also of that opinion um okay let's move on to our cards to watch segment two james why don't you get us started all right let's talk about some real cards that will actually make you money if you can track down enough copies so card i went relatively deep on the other day buying i don't know 20 or 26 20 26 something like 26 copies i think of the supreme verdict foils because i was as we do relatively often um going through edh.rec looking to see what the most popular cards are and i noticed um i think for the first time i don't think i had ever picked up on this before that supreme verdict is one of the top 20 cards in edh did you know that yes I did. In fact, I talked about this card uh, on one of our previous episodes and does not look like it was in the last couple. I have 100% talked about this card. I I think it was in one of my Monday articles, one of the Watchtower articles. I don't know if I talked about it here, but yes, I did know that. So it's in like 40,000 EDH decks on that site. Um, That's a much stronger profile than even many of the Masterpiece series cards that spiked. Um, you know, for a period of time past rotation, there was plenty of this stuff lying around because there was a buy a box promo too, which uh, oddly enough has superior art, I think, to the original, although I think it's debatable. Um, but when I went looking at the foils, I was surprised to find that the inventory was low on both copies and it hasn't seen a reprinting. It probably will in the next couple of years, I would guess in Modern Masters 2019 if I had to peg a specific set for it. 
but that still probably leaves a 6 to 12 to 18 month gap where these could easily get up over $25 between EDH and modern demand. Yeah, I am a big fan of the BioBox promos. I think it has much cooler R. Supply was much lower. It was around somewhere like seven to ten dollars, I think, when I first wrote about it. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm completely on board with it. And interestingly enough, we can't target this in Europe. It's no cheaper over there, um, and Japan is essentially sold out. So people, somebody probably got to this well before me. I mean, I only bit off a, a relatively modest chunk. Um, I didn't go ahead and try to buy it out. I left inventory on shelves we'll see how that it moves and whether it takes three six or 12 months to to get there there is a little bit of risk because again a reprint could be in the works it could show up in iconic masters potentially it could show up in the 25th anniversary set in the spring but if it dodges both of those bullets then you're probably safe uh, for long enough to be able to unload these profitably yeah i somebody did get there before you james me i told you i wrote about it <laughs> so, so how many how many do you have then uh i don't think i ended up buying any like <laughs> well because i you know i'm i'm doing three cards for watchtower i talk about one on cartel aristocrats and i talk about two to three here like it's it's a lot of cards for me to touch and it just kind of gets overwhelming um you know as trying to do it as a hobby so just as a side note i purchased a collection from a friend a couple weeks ago um took me i don't know probably 15 ish hours to sort of churn through most of it pay him blah 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 then you know probably like two hours to get all of the cards listed on tcg player that i wanted to sell i've list i've sold i've processed like 150 orders probably in the last week a week and a half it is miserable like i'm used to yeah. doing one or two orders a day maybe um you know occasionally i would list a spec and have to do like nine or 10 at once that everyone had, you know, when I sold like the new perspectives or whatever. Um, but I've been doing like 30 plus every two days and it is a slog, man. I well over an hour, sometimes up to two hours to put all this together. It's a ton of work and I'm making money on every single one of these cards, but it still sucks. And I'm like, we are really rapidly crossing from like enjoyable, like side hobby that puts a few extra bucks in my pocket to like, annoying second job um so so and and it's yeah you know everyone has to draw that line for themselves right you know i'm planning a wedding for later this year which is also sucking up a lot of my bandwidth um you know other people are going to be more flexible with it but yes a lot of this times like i see these cards i'm like people are going to make money but like i just don't have i I only have room for so many magic cards in my life and i've already kind of made my choices and that one's just gonna have to sit out there for other people I have a few responses to that. The first is I fully agree that as soon as this stuff pushes through your Netflix time, it starts to get dubious value. Um, and I mean, with the super collection, I went through the same kind of thing, three to four week processing for that ridiculous collection. I still have to go back into those binders and pull stuff out on a regular basis. Still have like, I don't know, 40,000 cards worth of bulk sitting around in, in my storage room because I don't have time to go through them. Um, so I get it fully. Um, and it reminds me of story, actually. Before I was into magic finance, I spent several years in toy finance as we were ramping up for the launch of shelflife.net. And one of the first uh, specs I ever had in toys was I, I heard a tip from this Transformer guy that was buying stuff from me that I was importing from Japan that this specific super Walmart superstore out on the west end of Toronto um, had got an order, a random order of Transformers called Alternators, which were like 
132 die cast scale transformers. So it was like uh, a fairly really un- cool. Yeah, it was a, a fairly unusual um, Transformers line that hadn't been that popular when it had come out. But really oddly, two years after the product line was released, it showed up at this one store in North America only. So basically what happened is they found pallets of this product in the back warehouse and decided to just liquidate them. So, but the, the thing is that time had passed to the point where these this product was now going for 30 to to $100 a unit and they were blowing them out at 996 on an end aisle display. So three or the three or four people that were hip to why that was exciting all show up with their credit cards in hand at like 9.01 a.m. at the Walmart and race each other to the end cap. And the guy that I sent over there to do it for me while I was at work was literally pushing people out of the way and like dumping hundreds of these like alternators into like six carts that he was dragging around and ended up buying something like 402 <laughs> units that I then had to source boxes for and ship manually over the course of three weeks. And they sold cool. out completely and I made a pile of money, but it was the most like just ridiculous process of mundanity. Like it was just wanted to gouge my eyeballs out by the time I was done doing it. So you really got to like decide when enough is enough with this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it gets irritating for sure. So, um, yeah, keep that in mind, you guys. So, so the answer to your question, I have no Supreme verdicts. <laughs> yeah. And, and my final point was, you know, I'm happy for your great ideas to make me money. That's totally, totally fine. Well, so, I'm glad I could be there for you. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about your first pick. Um, so my first pick is Bloodline Keeper. Um, this is the flip vampire lord from Innistrad. The original Innistrad has not seen a reprint since, if uh, memory serves me. Let me just double check that. No, it has not. Um, this is a form on a 3-3. You can tap it to put vampires onto the battlefield, and you can transform it if you have a bunch of vampires. You have to five, which, you know, in most decks would be difficult, but the vampire deck seems to want to kind of spit them out pretty quickly. And once you flip this thing, all your other vampires get 2-2. Two, two. Uh, so it's a, it's a pretty big buff to your vampires. I, every time I get my hands on a copy of this card and I list it on TCG Player, it sells through, like, very quickly. Um, you know, I don't have to wait long on these guys. And it's, so it's been selling briskly right around 5 to 6 bucks for a while now. You know, I wrote down on the sheet here that I was looking at foils. Uh, you can grab them at around 12 to 14 right now and i think there's definitely room for those to grow to 30 i also really think the non-foils can probably move from five or six bucks up to 10 to 12 maybe even 15 uh, depending on how things shake out there's not a terribly deep supply on these right now and what i think you're going to see with the vampires at the moment is so you kind of got to look at each of these tribes in their own wizards have had zero not only have they really had zero support, they've also had zero interest up till now. So there hasn't been a reason. Most players have not organically cared about Wizards as a tribe. The printing of this deck will push a lot of players into Wizards. Um, so you're getting a lot of zero to 60 demand over there. On Vampires, there hasn't really been a, re- a large appeal in that tribe um, in like the EDH, sort of the mainstream EDH uh, banned, but it does enjoy a lot of uh, popularity with like the casual kitchen table crowd. So cards like Bloodline Keeper have maintained a, a pretty healthy price, despite the fact that the demand comes almost strictly from 60 card decks. 
Well, now we're suddenly adding a reason for commander players to want to play vampires. There wasn't a lot of that before. Now there is. So all of these cards that kind of are starting at a higher base price because there's some popularity are getting a lot more eyes on them. And it's a little tougher to buy into something like Bloodline Keeper, but I think there's definitely some real fertile ground here because I don't see how you're going to have all of these players picking up the vampire deck and then not wanting to go grab some of the best vampires for it. And there's not a lot of supply out there because casuals keep buying them. And Bloodline Keeper is like, I think the most perfect example of this. So I will be very curious to see what the price on this is come February. And I'm assuming one of your key points here is because it's a flip card, it can't get reprinted in the set itself. Well, right. Like I, you know, they said they could reprint flip cards anytime now because of the way they changed their printing process. So I don't know if that's quite as reliable as it used to be, but it doesn't seem like they're in a rush to do that very often. Of course, they put phasing and storm in this product too. So again, with wizards, you can never really count on anything. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'm a little sketch, sketchy on whether these vampire commanders are quite as uh, exciting as some of the others we've seen for the other tribes. Um you know, Jason's article that published this afternoon on MTG Price talking about, you know, his initial thoughts on the set. Um, he, he seemed to rank vampires last out of the four. Um, but somebody, people, there are vampire fans, you know, when they did their market research to decide on these tribes, it's no, it, it's not like random that one of them ended up being vampires, right? Obviously, they score well um, when they're doing the research. So, it's entirely possible that people will play the tribe just to play the tribe, um, regardless of whether or not the, the commanders are super competitive. And certainly if this card doesn't show up in the set, then it's got potential for, for movement. Okay. Works for me. I, I Yeah, I, I think, I don't know, I, I didn't go in expecting the vampires or the wizard. I... I... Uh, let me think of the best way to phrase this. I have been pleasantly surprised with the vampires and the wizards far more so than I was with the cats and the dragons. Yeah, I mean, I the other thing I, here is the other thing is we're getting more vampires in Ixalan um, and the set after. Um, and some of them are going to be legendary. And all it takes is for one really exciting uh, legendary EDH commander to show up. And, you know, we're going to keep seeing vampires for years, even beyond these next couple sets. Um, and then all of a sudden these specs turn on. So, yeah. Okay. Well, what's your next card? Uh, so, in p- case people didn't catch this yet, there's a super cool new deck in modern uh, that relies on hollow ones coming into play really fast alongside goblin guides and monastery swift spears to lead into a pile of venge vines popping out of the graveyard and killing people on like turn three in an ideal world. Um, deck is super explosive has the same kind of um, potential for bad hands that other similarly linear decks, uh, linear aggro combo decks have uh, displayed. Um, plays a little bit like, you know, like a Through the, Bre- through the Breach or um, Goryeo's Vengeance type deck, where like if you have the right combination of cards in your opening hand, you have almost certainly locked things down by turn three or four. Um, and if you don't, then you're just praying that that one missing piece shows up. But the, the deck managed to go like 10 and 2, I think, before it fell out of contention for top 8 um, at the Syracuse Open, which had 900 plus players. So not a bad staging ground for the first appearance of the deck on the big stage. And I think it ended up finishing in the top 40. Um, so Venge Vines have been drying up. 
Um, if you can get in on them anywhere around 20 and the deck t- like even gets, if even 50 more players decide they need Vengevines to put this deck together, then Vengevine probably becomes a 30 to $40 card. Um, ditto foils of hollow one are still sitting around at five or $6. And obviously we're not even yet at peak supply for those because they're from, uh, Amonkhet block. But, um, I think there's a, a case to be made that if the deck takes off, those end up being 15 to $20 foils since they're rares. Um, yeah, as someone with a pile of venge vines, I would love to see these shoot from 20 to 35. I am all about that. <laughs> I do agree. The deck really has nowhere else to put its value at the moment. Like if this gets popular and takes off, there's not a lot of other places to gain traction. And given how old venge vine is pretty reasonable, I think. Yeah. And I mean, there are versions of the dredge decks that are running veg vine and modern as well. Um, and Hollow One may take off in other formats, right? Like, it's probably not an EDH card, but it could be uh, a Legacy or uh, Vintage card, potentially, because it's so easy to cast multiple creature spells in big mana formats. Um, so, you know, uh, the, the deck was very impressive on camera. It made a deep run in a long tournament, um, and people have been streaming it online. So I, I think there's some pretty good potential here. I, I, I give it, like, a seven bordering on an eight in terms of confidence. Okay. Um, okay. That sounds pretty solid. Uh, my second pick for the week is Bloodlord of Vazgoth. Um, this is in keeping with my pick of, uh, of Bloodline Keeper, Bloodline of Vazgoth. Pumps all of your, gives all of your vampires bloodlust, right? That's a, uh, bloodthirst, sorry. Um, which is if you blood, yeah, blood are three. So whenever you cast a vampire creature, um, if you already dealt damage to a player, it comes in with three more counters. So it makes him very big. Uh, he's a, just a solid vampire supply is definitely larger on this than some of the other ones, but the price is pretty low. looks like you can score copies around a dollar to $2. Um, this is going to be, I think a quiet, um, um, you know, Bloodline Keeper will like sell out and then the price will jump. But I see Bloodlord is just like all the cheap, cheap copies keep getting bought up. More will flow into the market, but I see the price rising up into the like four and ten dollar range, probably depending on how popular vampires end up. It's just, it's one of the best vampires matters cards. And as long as it doesn't show up in the pre cons, um, I think there'll be a, a steady supply of demand from people picking those pre cons up. And they're going to go, okay, what else do I want to add? First, Bloodline Keeper. Second, Bloodlord of Vazgoth. So is this the foils you're talking about? No, this is, I'm just talking about the non-foil ones. I mean, you could go for the foils too. It's got the pre-release promos are in the same ballpark. I'm hesitant on foils of these because I don't know. Don't I feel like it might be easier to sell the non-foils. Like a lot of players might not want the foil copies of these, so it's hard to say for sure. But I did notice that the that at least the pre-release foil copies seem to be just about the same price. See, I need to see more excitement about the Vampire Tribe before I go in on this stuff. But I think if I was going to, because this was a mythic, um, the pack foil mythic foil, the pack foil myth, <laughs> the pack foils, um. Are, there's only like maybe 10, 15 copies lying around on TCG Player and then say double that amongst various vendors and eBay and so forth. And you can pick them up under $6. So foil mythics that are going to get played in EDH under 6 bucks. if you believe Vampires is going to get there, that's probably where I want to be. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's about where I am. <laughs> because the, the non-foil inventory is quite deep, right? Like we're talking 100 plus copies on TCG alone. Yeah, but I, I, you're right. And I guess I don't see it as something that, again, it's not going to spike. It's not a bloodline keeper. It's like they're $1.50 now and they could be six or seven bucks in six months to a year. You know, if there's, there's the inventory in TCG player is deep, right? There's what? 200 copies, maybe, um, which is a fair bit. But how many of those vampire decks are going to get sold? There's going to be, you know, probably thousands of those sold in Buffalo. So you don't actually need a large percentage of people who buy the vampire deck to then decide to go and add this card to it. And again, I'm kind of leaning on that idea that there hasn't been a demand for this in the past. So um, a lot of people probably don't own this card, right? Like there's going to be a lot of people that are going to have to go out and buy it. Of course, if it's in in the deck itself, then we definitely don't want the non-foil. These are all dead in the water if they're in the deck. Yeah, for sure. Which which certainly underscores the foil potential a little better. So yeah, 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 yeah. All right, my final pick of the week is the number two card in EDH. Um, specifically, the foils of said card. Cyclonic Rift was just reprinted in Modern Masters twenty seventeen, but foils have been drying up pretty quick, which tends to happen when like a hundred thousand people play the card, um, minimum in EDH. And so you can get your hands on copies, $12, $13, maybe locally. Somebody's got some in the case at 10 bucks that hasn't repriced them in a little while. I think these are going to end up at 20 to 5 to $30 because it just got reprinted. So there's no way it's in the pipeline in any other set. Um, it's probably the foils certainly aren't showing up in the commander product since we know that it's confirmed that the only foils in the set are the commanders. So that means that this card probably gets a year, two, or three years um, worth of growth potential before foils show up again and it is the <laughs> the very you know the second best card in the format um, there is some slight risk that it gets banned in the format because the card has been you know is so ubiquitous and so powerful but um, it hasn't happened yet i haven't heard any recent increase in chatter about it um, and as a result i went ahead and pushed some chips in and bought like another 20 or 30 copies um, if you can get you know, 5, 10, 15, I think you're probably going to get an easy chance to unload them down the road. Okay. Um, I think that this is very, it's a card that I have wanted to spec on several times and just never felt like the right time, but this seems uh, reasonable to me. I mean, the card is ridiculous. I'd almost like, I, at this point I'd be, I would say I'd be more worried about getting, getting banned than, uh, than, than an immediate reprint that threatens it. Um, but I also don't think that's going to happen. And the play is just unreal on Cyclonic Rift. And for good reason, the card destroys people. And and keep in mind that like the when I first looked at this a few months ago, when M- M17 was new, um, there might have been 100 foils on TCG. But now you're talking about less than 15. Um, so the demand is real. Um, the, the foils have been sliding out the door. And... And it's impressive when a card can move out the door that quick in ones, right? Like the thing about EDH is that people don't buy four copies like they do for competitive formats. So you see 20 copies drain of a card for modern. It just means five people bought their playset. But to move 20 card, twenty copies of an EDH card, it means that 20 people bought one copy of the card um, and sucked up the, the shipping on top of that. So um, I like this one a lot. Uh, I think between that and Supreme Verdict um, gives you plenty of good local hunting to poke around for. And if you believe in the Vengevine Hollow one deck, then opportunities are still there. Okay. I uh, I think they're all pretty solid. 
Um, let's move on to our uh, segment three, our metagame week in review. Uh, we had both Minneapolis and Star City this weekend. Uh, modern over at Syracuse, this is where we saw the uh, pretty cool um, Vengevine deck uh, that didn't really do all that well, but it was cool nonetheless. Um, I don't think, I don't even know if it day twoed, but oh, it no, no, it, no, 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 it did. It, it only missed top eight by like a match. It might have been a match and a half or two matches, but like two two more wins and it was definitely top eighting and it might have been just one it was off because it finished in the top like 40 right so difference does it show up on star city's website yeah yeah it's it's there if you go uh deep enough i think it it finished i want to say 36th but don't quote me on that it was in my article on tuesday okay well it was uh it was very cool uh for sure um also, we saw Sam Eldrazi over there, Merfolk taking fourth, which Corbin was not uh, um, remiss to point out. Um, still a, a bad deck for dummies. Um, Death Shadow, that, a lot of that storm. Keep, that keeps top eighting major events over long periods of time with a rotating meta. I mean, it's Star City Open. It's like anyone can walk in and win with decks there, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, nonsense, nonsense. The the metagame at Star City Opens tends to be really soft. Like a a competent player with a semi-decent deck or even a good deck that has a good day can top 32 or win. I mean, it's not like it's a free roll. but I I think there's plenty of bodies that have put time and effort into that tour that would love for you to show up and prove this right. Well, but you have to get lucky. I mean, you have to. It requires you getting lucky, right? Like, I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just, you know, whatever. So, so, so here's my two cent, two cents on Star City Tour. The people that have been doing well consistently um, have repetitively been putting up top eights. Like, if you look at, there are like 10, 15 people that have top eighted over and over and over and over again. And if it was more random, if if you know. The, the race for player of the year and invites to the invitational and so forth. It was all pretty even and represented a relatively low number of points. Then it would suggest to me that there wasn't any skill on the tour. It would suggest that things were largely random and things were soft, but you know, it's, it's not the same skill level as a top eight of the pro tour, you know, where you have all these like multiple hall of famers hanging around these days. But you know, there, there are a lot of really good players that are in like top 32, top 64 contention on that tour on a regular basis. Uh- I am not stressing that uh, that it is that random and that nobody good ever plays. Obviously, you have capable players who keep repeating good performances because they play well, they show up with good decks, and they um, are rewarded for that on a regular basis. I'm saying that it is, I think, easier to weave a line to the top based on variance than it would be in other large events. Um I think Grand Prix are harder to like have somebody stumble backwards into succeeding and pro tours are obviously like near impossible to do that. But at a star city, like on day one is what, like nine matches. I mean, you can have like basically eight or nine of them be virtually free wins um, type of thing. Just players playing poorly. And, you know, maybe you get a couple good top decks and then in day two, you can run the same thing. So it's, it's not to say that like it happens all the time. It's just, I think that of all of the sort of, the larger events, they are certainly the softest and the most easiest to succeed with a bad deck. You're, you know, you're least likely to be punished at a star city. 
Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to have to leave you out on a limb with that one. Listen, yeah. I top eight at a Star City. I know of what I speak. I was not good. <laughs> I was terrible, and I still managed to do it. It can happen. All right, all right, fair. So okay. let's, um, talk about, let's talk about some of the more exciting decks that did pop up at that event, though. I do see Blue Red Storm showing up in two places in the top eight, Caleb Shear and Ryan Dunn, so capable players. This deck has gotten really popular um, over the since basically since Baral was printed, it kind of took off, um, and it, they tend to use the Gifts Ungiven package, which is very good and also very good for the deck because it gives them a lot more access to tools because they're running Gifts Ungiven. So um, I see Storm is sort of giving Ad Nauseum a run for their uh, the the sort of the the quote unquote like best non interactive combo deck in the format, like spell based combo deck. Yeah, I mean. One of the cards I think is interesting that I've been picking up a lot of copies of is Foil Ceremonious Rejection because the Tron decks are doing so well and there's always Affinity hanging around and being able to counter any colorless spell, artifact or otherwise, for one blue gives you, you know, sideboard slot flexibility because it could be countering Karn as easily as it's countering Arcbound Ravager. Yes, yeah, we've talked about Foil Ceremonious Rejection before. I do really like that card. So in the top 16, we also had a Slivers deck, believe it or not. This thing was running all the usual slivers that are uh, available in Modern alongside four Ether Vial and four Collected Company, as you might imagine. And then uh, <laughs> the entire sideboard was slivers. Oh. <laughs> Guys, there, uh, there are no non, there, There's a Chameleon Colossus, but that still counts as a sliver. There is There are no non-slivers in the sideboard. And this guy, top 16 to 1,000 player uh, event. So... All right, so maybe maybe there's some softness in. in I was going to say, you still want to tell me that? (laughs) (laughs) But but the thing is that like Slivers punishes stumbles, right? Like Slivers deck is very similar to Merfolk, with where except your interaction isn't coming from your hand; it's coming from on board, and you don't have any mana denial because you don't you're not changing things into islands. Um, but otherwise they're pretty similar decks. So if you don't like Merfolk, you probably won't like Slivers. Um. Also interesting, there was a, a Hate Bearers deck uh, that finished top 16 that was uh, the black-white variant. So pretty similar to the deck I run in Modern, but without the Eldrazi elements, I guess. Um, although they are running Wasteland Strangler, they just don't have the Thought Not Seer package up top. Uh, oh, no, I'm wrong. It's, sorry, it was run. It's basically the same deck I run. It's They were running Thought Not Seer. So this is like Eldrazi Displacer, Flicker Wisp, Leonin Arbiter, which is about to get a reprint. Sadly, if you were invested in that, Thalia Garden of Thraven, Tide Hello Sculler, Dark Confidants, and Blades Placers. Um, speaking of Dark Confidant, that's a card I'm I, I I'm interested in unloading copies that I own. What do you think about it? Yeah, I remember you talking about this a while ago at like 45, and it sounded pretty good, and we were sort of on the same page. But uh, I, I I don't know. I could with Master Iconic Masters and Masters 25. Those are some pretty big matzo balls hanging over your head. So I wouldn't fault you for selling them, although I can see why you'd be annoyed that you had to do it. Yeah, I'm annoyed that I'm getting out neutral or slightly below, but I can easily repurpose those funds profitably. And I really do think that there's a strong reprint risk on the card, given that we didn't see it in Modern Masters 2017. And there are two master sets coming up in the next year where it would easily fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 both an iconic card. So can easily fit in Iconic Masters as one of the like, because I suspect that Iconic Masters is going to be largely janky, but it's still going to have five or six like bait cards, right? So Rashad and Port probably, um, Wasteland is a potential there, um, Dark Confidant, there's a bunch of them. 
Um, yeah. And then the, if it doesn't land there, then the 25th set slam dunk, it could easily show up there. Yes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, it's prime real, you know, prime target for both of those, which certainly makes it scary to be hanging on to them. So, you know, I, I would at this point be in the position that I would only hold them if I was comfortable with them getting reprinted, you know? Yeah. And the thing is like the inventory for the various versions of the card is, is just too deep, right? Like there's, there's no, it's very unlikely that it's going to drain out. And the thing about uh, modern versus EDH, for instance, is that EDH gets all these new goodies year round that bring new decks to light. You know, there's new commanders, not just in the commander product, but in pretty much every product, there's always like commander potential. We, you know, people were talking about Scorpion God. They're talking about Locust God. They're talking about Hapatra. Now we're talking about the actual commander product. Once we get to Ixalan and we realize that Planeswalkers are legendary, there's going to be a whole bunch more people that jump on that bandwagon. Whereas with modern, there's, you know, there's only really, you know, five, 10, 15, maybe 20 relevant new cards a year. And that's really pushing it, um, out to like tier four. Um, not very often that new cards make a big splash in that format. And, you know, staples like Dark Confidant, people that have been playing the format for a while, you know, they have their playset or they don't intend to use them. Um, and where the, with where the meta is at right now, unless they ban stuff heading into the Modern Pro Tour next year, I don't see Dark Confidant getting its chance to suddenly jump to the forefront again. No, yeah, I, 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 I'm mostly in agreement with you that it's it's unfortunate how the how it's shaken out, but uh, I see that it's it's probably too risky at this point. I mean, there aren't a lot of copies left in the forty range on TCG. The curve is pretty steep; like you get from forty to fifty pretty quick amongst the sellers. So, you know, maybe it posts up in the fifty to sixty dollar range before I get a chance to sell all mine, which would mean it would be slightly profitable. Um, but I'm happy to just sell along that curve and not worry about whether it goes slightly up or slightly down. Right, right, right. Yeah, just kind of dodge this bullet while you can. Well, I mean, when there's double up opportunities, like why screw around hoping for an extra 15%? Right, right. For sure, for sure. Um, other than that, Modern still looking pretty healthy, interesting. Death Shadow only put like one copy in the top 16, which is pretty pretty wild that it was that minimal um given that it's kind of the consensus best stack although that definitely lends credence to my theories um overall i I think it's a great a a wide open format there's a lot of room for stuff to happen and every single set that gets released it feels like we are close to something kind of coming out of nowhere um and uh and opening a new deck type of thing so it's still feels very fresh and vibrant and available as a format um room for a lot of cards to spike i'm so annoyed that teferi's protection that three mana instant in the commander set isn't modern legal because one of my uh andrew pointed out on twitter that you (laughs) put restore balance on the stack and then you cast that so you have no permanence in play (laughs) (laughs) so it just erases the board the only thing that it doesn't do is it uh, doesn't exile your hand too which is unfortunate but uh, that would be pretty good, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, that, 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 about... card, that card's crazy. The the other deck that that jumped out at me in the top sixteen was the oh. Val- there's there's a Valakut brew that was running three Chandra Torch of Defiance main. Um, oh, and, yeah. And I've seen a lot of chatter about the Valakut decks that they have uh, the green card that searches up basics and turns them into zombies from Hour of Devastation. Name is escaping me, but um, some of them are running that card as well. And uh, they're also running Sweltering Suns um, as a sweeper 
um, that can handle a lot of uh, the more aggressive decks and can also cycle to help them find their combo if they're looking for a scape shift or uh, a summoner's pact or whatever so they can get primeval titan in play that is uh that is interesting i do that that does seem like it gets a little better every time and we aren't too far away from it kind of turning the corner again and also being very good uh a second time basically i mean basically the reason i pointed out is that if chandra torch of defiance ends up being two a two three or four of in a couple of different decks in modern then you know that could be the most expensive planeswalker in the format Oh yeah. Yeah. She's got a real chance here and she's, she's getting more popular. I wish, I wish we could recommend her as a buy, but, uh, she's already so expensive that it would be, uh, it would be irresponsible of me to tell you that she's a buy cause she's like 30 bucks. It is a shame, but it's, I mean, she could be 50 reasonably, especially come October, November when she's at the height of her standard and modern popularity. I suppose if I had copies, I might be reluctant to sell them at this point. I might want to hang on till at least kind of later this year to see where things go. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't rotate this fall. She rotates the fall after. So plenty yeah, of time. Exa- yeah, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes the combination of modern and standard demand is what really pushes a card over the top and, and, you know, sets it up for a peak while it's still in standard that later recedes and sets you up for a second peak somewhere down the road. Correct. All right. So let's move on to our fourth and final topic of the week. We're going to be talking about the Commander 2017 previews in more detail, highlight some cards that caught our eye from either a speculation or player perspective. Um, So the first thing I want to point out is that um, I had a minor pa- panic attack this afternoon because I noticed everybody on Twitter talking about how Marquesa the Black Rose uh, was getting reprinted and they thought she was foil, then they thought she was non-foil, then they confirmed she's one of the three that are foiled. Um, and I was, for some reason, convinced I owned a bunch of foils and went scat- scouring through my spec boxes looking for them to see how much money I was going to lose. And thank the the lords above, I don't own any of that card. But there are only five copies at present of the Conspiracy 2 version foils at about 60 bucks a piece, and I would not want to be caught dead holding those once the Commander product hits the streets. Um, so you're talking about the Marquesa that's being reprinted is the first one, not the second one, which is the first Commander. Sorry, from, sorry, from conspiracy. conspiracy, not Conspiracy 2. Yeah. Yeah, I am pretty sure I have several of these. Uh, they might be Japanese. Were they printing this thing in Japanese? I don't remember. Probably. The Commander decks usually are. Good, good. That's all <laughs> so, great. You might you might want to fire up the buy list tool and see if anybody hasn't shut it down yet. Yeah, I mean, I got them for pretty cheap. I got them while I was over in Japan. I probably paid like ten bucks a piece for them, but even still, um, that is unfortunate. So I'll have to see what I can do about that. It's also possible that pack foils hold the line a little better if the foiling process on these commanders is uh, not particularly good. Well, we, I think we, I mean, we already know what the foiling process is, right? Well, it's the same thing that happened on the last ones. It's like that sort of metallic-y one. Yeah, so I mean, my Atraxes look better than they used to, but not as good as pack foils, right? Yeah, I have uh, one, two, th- a playset of English foil Marquesas. And a several non-foil Japanese copies. That is a shame. <laughs> yeah, so you want you want to be getting out on that. So let's let's talk about cards that are exciting. Um, let's let's kick this off with the thing that most most got me uh, stoked to start 
brewing decks for commander today cast dissident mage is a three four flying human wizard for one blue black red and basically you get to snapcaster a card on every turn of yours um, including any extra turns you might take so if you time walk you then get to time walk again yeah the wording on this is set up to basically tell players hey just in case you weren't sure you should be playing time walk effects with cast just like a reminder in the rules text. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't, I remember you posted that. I was like, eh, I don't know if it really does that much for me. And then I was kind of thinking about it. I'm like, man, if you have like t- one time walk effect, you can basically go like infinite with it because you cast that one and then you cast a spell that returns it to your hand and then you cast it again and then you flash back the spell that returned it to your hand. And then by then you've had like four turns. And I'm like, damn, this thing can really keep going if you wanted to. So she's really powerful for sure. Um, and probably a pretty reasonable setup for the long term. I guess my biggest concern, I guess, is to com- I would compare it to Mizzix, who is another extremely good spell-based commander, basically the best one out there. And he's not actually that expensive, I don't think. Um, definitely one of the cheaper ones. He's And he's not that highly built either. Uh, so I think that there's not as much demand for these. Yeah, he's a dollar for these spell-based commanders as maybe it seems like you would expect there to be. Yeah, I mean, hard to predict the demand profile, and I'm going to stay clear of specs on Commander 2017, except the things that look super, super underpriced right now, and there are a couple that we'll talk about in a few minutes, Um, and also some that Jason pointed out in his article today. Um, But a lot of this depends on how much this product gets printed. If it's the same kind of print run that we had two years ago, then you're going to have to wait a while for the inventory to drain before you even think about it. If it's the print run we had last year, then by all means jump in with both feet because we've already got like 20 cards from that set that are over five bucks. Okay. I mean, sure. If it, if it works, I suppose I just, I, I'm Mizzix gives me a bit uh, gives me pause, I guess is the way I would think about it. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the clue here as always is, is the inventory draining faster than it should be. And in advance of peak supply, um, because I think this card is going to sell very well over the next you know, week or two, right? Like there's a lot of hype around it, um, as there are with several of the other cards we'll talk about. Um, and so it's going to spike and then it's going to fall back down because all the hype around the set um, leading up to Ixalan, the next major release, there's going to be a nice window there where dealers can make a lot of money cracking sets and selling singles. Um, especially if you got in on the mass drop that was, I think, $100 for all four decks, so it's 25 bucks a deck. Um, I think those people are going to do well pretty easily, um, scavenge whatever cards they want for themselves, sell the rest, and easily make their money back. Um, but the uh, you know, give me an example of what caught your eye as being the most exciting card. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure yet. I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff floating around here, but I don't know... I don't see one that's jumping out at me as like, oh, this is going to really push prices someplace in the way that we've seen with other commander products. Um, I think that that horn is pretty good, but I don't know if it's in enough. It might be in too many decks. Um, the Herald's horn, the three, th- that one I think caught my eye first. It's a three mana artifact when it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Creatures of the chosen type cost one less. And at the beginning of your upkeep, uh, basically look at the top card. And if it's a creature of that type, you can, you draw it. So, you know, every turn it draws you 
it can draw you an additional one of your cre- your creature types and it makes them all cost one less. That's a a powerful combination there. So I'm kind of interested in that one. Um, but overall, what I'm finding is that there's a lot of cool features here, but I, I suppose that the fact that it's all tribal is cooling my excitement about it just a little bit because I'm cautious about how capable tribal is of pushing card prices. I think it might be a little less than we all want it to be. I don't know. The, the user response on social media, at least for this set, seems to be significantly better than almost any other magic product in the last year. And that leads me to believe it's going to sell very well indeed. Um, There's also some cards here that go beyond the four tribes that are included that are just good in tribal in general, and are also, because they're tribal-related, unlikely to get reprinted in future commander products that aren't tribally focused, um, which is going to be an occasional thing, not an every-year thing. So, for instance, Path of Ancestry is the obviously excellent land, comes into play tapped, but then it makes one mana of any color in your commander's color identity, and when that mana is spent to cast a creature spell that shares a creature type with your commander, you scry one. I mean, that's... Oh, a, yeah. That, I mean, that's very good. That card's It's so also good. in, like, every, all four decks. I suppose that it's it's one of those things where I, I would expect Magic players to generally be excited about any of the commander products on Twitter. Like, I haven't seen that. I haven't... They haven't really spoiled the commander product, and people thought it was bad. Um, you know, the worst one was the one with the Planeswalker commanders, and even that was fairly popular. Um, it's more about how, how well these can, these will inspire cards to can be consistently sold through, uh, you know, months down the road, I suppose is the way I'm thinking about it. So I don't know. I could be, I could be proven wrong and they will end up being, um, more demand than I think there is. I've just, I guess, tempered a little bit. Well, I think it's a two-step process. If you want to play risky small ball, then you pick out the cards that are underpriced right now and buy some on Star City Games uh, and hope that you're right and maybe you sell them into a price spike or in the near term or you hold them for a year or two and then hope that the price catches up with you. Or you can wait and just watch to see how much of this product actually appears in the market and how flooded TCG gets with copies and just keep your eye on some of your most likely targets and look for the supply to drain quicker on some than there than others and then act accordingly. Yeah. Um, I guess a uh, thousand year elixir is kind of interesting uh, with what's her name? Where'd she go? Uh, I lost the tab. Marisil, the pretender, the one that exiles creatures and artifacts uh, from hands or graveyards, and then she has all those abilities, so she's kind of like a better necrotic ooze. Thousand Year Elixir will give her those abilities haste and allows you to untap her, so that seems like a, uh, a guaranteed slot in in all of those decks, and you can grab copies around five bucks. There are quite a few copies on TCG Player right now. It looks like 230 or so um, across all conditions as well. Um, one thing I will tell you, by the way, is I have been listing a lot of lightly played moderately played heavily played on T- cards on tcg player because that was a condition all those cards were in that i bought and they i have sold those faster than the near mint ones um so keep that in mind too i guess that uh those lp stuff sells no problem which and i kind of realized this in sync with the fact that i was also looking to buy cards for myself for because i had just put together two new edh decks and for each card i was like okay can i get a foil a near mint foil copy for a price i like 
If yes, I'm going to buy that one. If no, what is the absolute cheapest copy of this card I can buy? And I bought like all my, my purchase was all lightly played and near mint foils. Um, so there's definitely a, an appeal for a lot of players to just like, they, if they can't get the coolest version, they don't care which version they have, which doesn't really help you when like you're specking on this stuff, but it does kind of inform some of your decisions about like whether it's worth, we, we kind of depend, it, let that inform your decision when you're deciding I guess when you're specking on cards like, oh, there are zero near mint copies left, but there's 20 LP copies and they're way cheaper than the near mint ones, you can probably sell those no problem. Um, Or if you're looking at a collection and it's all kind of played, like you can offer that player, that person less, but you know that you'll be able to sell all those EDH staples. Right. So one of the other things that's worth pointing out about the commander products is that on the cards that are not reprints, the new cards, the lit, the, Listed rarity is irrelevant. The only thing you need to know about the rarity on these cards is whether they appear in all of the decks, a couple of the decks, or just one of the decks. And Isn't as far that as I... what the rarity is supposed to tell you? I thought mythic and rares were one decks, uncommon were two, and common were three or four. Really? I I was under that impression. I could be wrong, but that is what I thought was the case. Huh. Uh, my impression is that they don't mean anything <laughs> and and that they are just there because magic cards have to have rarities. But if that's true, that's interesting um, because it's a good visual shorthand for how many decks it appears in. Um, but for instance, I th- does that mean Mirror of the Four Bears is in two of the decks? Is that your theory? I believe so. Again, I'm like 65% on this. Huh. We're going to have to go back and check, and we'll confirm back for everybody next week. Yeah, I just um, pinged, pinged someone, too, so we'll see if we can get an answer here before the cast is over. Yeah. So, I mean, the Mirror of the Forebears has my attention um, because you choose a creature type, and then until end of turn, you can turn this thing into a copy of that creature. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be... Uh, I was going to say it doesn't have to necessarily be yours, but I guess it does have to be your creature, yeah? I thought that that's how it worked. You control. Still, um, copying your best creature in a tribal deck for three mana, (laughs) all colorless, seems pretty solid, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, the other card that jumped out at me was uh, Inala, Archmage Ritualist. This is the five mana Grixis wizard that um, she has an eminence ability, which, by the way, that really matters. Um like the some of the most powerful commanders in the game are the ones that give you effects from the command zone. So Aloro, um, Mizix, um, the Marin, who is like the second or third most play, built commander deck ever, um, does that experience counter thing. Those are all experience counter commanders. So these eminence effects are going to matter. But she's the one that um, every time a wizard enters a battlefield, under your control, you can pay one and create a copy of that wizard. So here's what that card says. You get your own personal panharmonic on for one mana on your wizards. Like it's just, it gives you a lot of utility there. Um, so I think she's really, I think she could end up being like surprisingly powerful because you are not going to have to copy very many wizards for that ability to grow considerably. And oh, by the way, I am here is what I'm hearing. Commons are in every deck. Uncommon is in half the decks or more. Rares and mythics are in one deck. Got it. All right. So I guess it does. It means something, but it doesn't mean the same as it, as it does in packs, right? Like 
that you're still only getting a single copy per deck opens. What really matters here is total volume of product. Um, and, you know, if something appear, if the uncommons only uh, appear in two decks versus three versus four, that's something you want to keep an eye on because the less the, less the number of decks, and an, an uncommon that's in two decks is not printed to the same level as an uncommon that's in three is, I guess, what I'm trying to get at here. Um, and so, yeah, one of the other things that jumped out at me um, was uh, another card that I think might be legacy playable. Um, although I don't know how exactly yet, Teferi's Protection for two and a white. The instant that until your next turn, your life total can't change, you have protection from everything and all permanents you control phase out. And then you exile Teferi's Protection because it's so powerful they don't want to let you do it again with a Snapcaster Mage. So this is the first phasing card we've had since like 1997. Phasing was one of the most maligned and ignored uh, mechanics ever. And here we have a card forecasting that we're going to be revisiting Teferi on D- Dominaria next year. This is a really funky card for several reasons. First of all, it's going to take every time it gets cast, people are going to have to stop and read it a couple times to kind of figure out that they know what it's doing. Second of all, it's really powerful. Um, and third, it says phasing on it. And it's just like, oh, just phase out. Oh, uh, when they're phased out, it's like they don't exist. Okay, and then they're back. Okay, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the eight pages of the comprehensive rule books that are dedicated to this keyword that Matt Tabak would love to pretend just doesn't exist. Uh, it is pretty funny how they gloss over this card. So here's a couple of interesting questions around phasing. Do you get enter the battlefield triggers when things phase back in? You do not. See, that's pretty key. <laughs> And yeah. a lot of play, a lot of players that weren't around in that era are probably not going to realize that at first glance and get burned a couple times at their kitchen table before they get up to speed. Yeah, and you can read the reminder text on it, and it says they're treated as though they don't exist, but like then it says they phase back in. I I would say if you as a, as a if you were to read that rules text, you would think that you got the enter the battlefield triggers. And I asked when it was spoiled as well. And like, there's like a little rules update posted recently that specifically says that that doesn't happen. Like they're addressing that, but that's not going to matter. A lot of players are going to get caught out on this. So here's the other interesting one. The counters stay on the permanence. Is that, I believe so. Yes, it is as, so I guess the best way to think of phasing is that your board state doesn't change. Nothing leaves or enters the battlefield. You just pretend that it's not there. <laughs> yeah. So, like, equipment still attaches stuff. Counters exist. Tokens don't die. Um, you don't get enter the battlefield triggers. Uh, you just, if something was to, was to stay tapped, it would still stay tapped. It's just, like, you kind of you kind of just don't look at them. Just don't look at it. So, Atraxa almost certainly runs this, right? Because whether you're running Atraxa tokens or counters or planeswalkers or some combination of the three, being able to save all your shit and then bring it back and you couldn't couldn't die on the next turn cycle, so everybody has to attack each other, all of that's good, right? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some utility here um, until your next turn. Yeah, so like at a critical turn in the game, uh, at the beginning of your first opponent's attack phase, you just have various protection. And then they all have to slug it out with each other because you can't be attacked. Uh, you can also use it as a great precursor to a wrath. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, res- uh, to- but, but in response to a wrath, wraths are generally sorceries. This is an instant. Right. So you could you could protection and then cast your own. Or when somebody else casts theirs, you just various protection. Be like, okay. Yeah. It resolves. You just cast 
uh, like a decree of whatever for me, like in Garrick's wake for me, that would yeah. be ridiculous. And like Atraxa's, um, you know, the Planeswalker builds, which are the most prominent, tend to, you know, get to a point where they're just about to ultimate something sexy on a Planeswalker, right? And then somebody just whips out their whatever card, Hero's Downfall, Vindicate, whatever, and take wipes it off the board to make sure that threat doesn't go anywhere. Being able to take your Planeswalkers out of play, but keep all their counters, come back and then ultimate them, <laughs> that's yeah. nasty. Yep. For sure, for sure. Um, you're going to get catch some people with that. Um, and a Kazali, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I'm actually, I'm sad that this card uh, isn't being printed in another set because that is gorgeous art and would have been fantastic in foil. <laughs> that would have been cool. Um, Kazali Slingers is definitely going to become a mainstay in green decks. It basically replaces Indrix Dom Powler. Uh, it's a fat body that allows you to destroy artifacts and enchantments, but you get additional bonuses if you put other cats in the play. Um, so that's pretty nice. Well, but uh, it's not just bonuses. It basically every future cat is another slingers, right? That's crazy. Yeah. So if you're in a cat deck, it's it's unreal. But even if you're not in a cat deck, like it still replaces that like that slot, whether it's injuring stop howler or conclave naturalist or um, wicker bro elder, because even if you have zero other cats, it's just as good as those. And if you have other cats, it gets even better. Yeah. What do you think about the rattlesnake potential of scale Lord reckoner? This is the four, four flying white dragon for five. Whenever a dragon you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls destroy target non-land permanent that player controls. Well, he is really cool, and that effect is very powerful and is an awesome rattlesnake. The My biggest concern is that he's white, and white dragons come up very rarely um, in the sense that most of the appealing commanders for dragons players are not white, right? Like you have Karthas and you have um, Scion is playable, I guess. Um, I guess he's a reasonably popular one. Like you either have to go five color or some of the other ones. So he's he's okay, but not being in black or red, I think, kind of suppresses his playability for sure. See, I, see, I don't know about that because two of the three commanders we're getting now, Okagachi, Vengeful Kami, and the Ur Dragon are both five color, right? So Vengeful Kami is all five, Ur Dragon's all five. Um, this slots right in there. Um, plays really nicely with Thunderbreak Regents, which are promo foils I've been picking up in abundance. Um, because then every time they target one of your dragons, they lose, th- they take three damage and sack a permanent. Um, and it also has play in Kalia, right? Because Kalia puts dragons, angels, and demons into play when she attacks. Um, and then this thing is like an attacking four, four where if any of your other dragons are targeted, they're taking serious punishment. <laughs> Seems sure. Like- I mean, I, su- I suppose that's a fair point that she he is white is more accessible to dragons today, especially after these new commanders than it was a couple months or a year or two ago. So I suppose so. I still you know, if you're going to be a dragon, I still want you to be red, mostly because every thing that you want to do with dragons is going to be in red. But I mean, white doesn't seem like that much of a stretch. It is a powerful ability. You I mean, know I, who su- I don't I, I suppose mm-hmm. that you're base red. But, you know, you're going to have a bunch of color fixing for the dragons. The other thing is that the third commander in the dragons is probably the least exciting. That's the Jund-colored uh, Wasatora Nakoro Queen that's two black, red, green. And I would actually argue that's the commander that's left on the outside the most because it cuts off some of the other options. Yeah, that's uh, they clearly said we want a cat dragon and then started from there. <laughs> like it is not it is not that great. 
You know who else is bad? Nazan, revered bladesmith. I don't think he's very good at all. Um, this is the cat, let the cat commander, the um, at the green white one. Um, when he enters the battlefield, he tutors for an equipment. But basically, like if you play him and then you go get his hammer and you equip his hammer to him, you paid six mana for a seven four indestructible that taps a creature when it attacks. I mean that's fine, I guess. I don't love it. Uh, I don't think he's very interesting at all, so I would not be in a rush to be looking at that guy. Yeah, because he's got an ETB, there might be some potential for blinking shenanigans. Yeah, but I mean, it's you're right, but I mean, then it's just still like Stoneforge Mystic and uh, what is it? I think the other one, Stone Hero Giant, the same, same type of concept. Well, I mean, I assume that they're all in the same deck, right? Uh, we haven't seen either of those spoiled yet. Stone Hero Giant's probably a pretty no, but I mean, good like, one. That you... I mean, once you've upgraded the version that you buy at the store. Sure, yeah, you would, which means that now your commander is the exact same card as two other cards in your deck. <laughs> like, you're just paying a lot of mana and not getting that much out of them, I guess. is. What do, you, what do you think of Disrupt Decorum? Two red red, goad all creatures you don't control. That card's really cool, but I just, it, you know, it's the same problem I have with all these other cards. The card's really cool, and I see that, I'm like, oh, that's going to my friend's Granzo deck, and I'm probably going to find room for this in a deck, too, but... I don't see it being worked. I don't like see that as a spec, nor do I see as it triggering specs. See, until your next turn, those creatures attack each combat if able and attack a player other than you if able. So everybody has to attack, but they can't attack you. Mm-hmm. Correct. That's cool. And if you... there... Go ahead. There's definitely times in the game where you get to kick back and laugh and take a sip from your beer, munch on some chips while everybody else is, is causing havoc on one another, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a friend who plays the, that the new Grenzo, like the mono red one. Um, and I got to tell you, it's a, there are board states where suddenly, essentially, he this happens. He like every creature on the board is goaded and not necessarily all by him because like you end up stealing it and all sorts of nonsense. So I've seen this type of thing before. And it does it. I got to tell you, it does make for some very fun commander games. Uh, it is really cool. I just don't see the price taking off. Um God, what did he play this with? Oh, he had he had uh, he was playing the Grenzo with uh, confusion in the ranks. You want to play a commander game? That is a good combination because every time a creature comes into play, you're swapping control with another creature, but then you're like attacking with Grenzos and goading each other so that those all creatures all have to attack. So like, oh man, that was that was a good time. I highly recommend that to uh to all of you out there confusion the ranks that is a commander card in a bottle <laughs> all right so there's a new curse cycle in the set uh our own jason alt pointed out that curse of opulence is probably too cheap it's currently 25 cents on star city game this is the enchant player for one red that basically says anytime the enchanted player is attacked the person that attacked them gets a colorless artifact token named gold which is basically a lotus petal so red wants this fixing, right? Like this is probably a staple in a lot of red decks. Yeah, and it provides you some ramping too. I did. I was looking through the curse cycle and trying to figure out which one was the one that's too cheap. And I wasn't sure which one it was yet. I kind of needed some additional insight. But the red one at one definitely caught my eye. And 
a lot of these red decks seem to play sort of as combo decks. Um, so like the Grenzo, uh, well, the Grenzo a little bit. Uh, Zada, I have a Zada deck that plays like a combo deck, so it would love to be able to s- build up some mana and then explode. Um, red is also, a lot of times, it's easy to toss away a, 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 um, a token every turn on an attack so that like, you can just keep using that to build up mana sometimes uh, and getting it from other players too. So definitely pretty reasonable. It's also kind of funny that you can like cast this on yourself um, so that you get the bonus as well. So like I wouldn't do that with Curse of Bounty, for instance, because you don't want to give your opponents that much uh, appeal to attack you. But like Curse of Vitality or Curse of Opulence are fine to cast on yourself because they don't do that much, but it gives gives you a payoff i don't know maybe i'm just off the deep end now i think i'm gonna buy 20 copies of this i mean that's like five dollars or whatever for something that might end up buy listing at a dollar or two dollars a couple years down the road sure throw it in with another order and away you go yep um well it's now 7 30 do you want to wrap things up here for the night yeah i got a few more to talk about maybe we can push that to next week um where can everybody find you online travis well, I am on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday at MTG Price, uh, and I do the podcast, webcast, Cartel Aristocrats Monday evenings. And if you like playing Magic, check out scry.land, find Magic, PPTQs, Grand Prix, and so forth in your area. And you guys can find me, uh, as always, on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. I'd also like to point out that um, I've started offering uh, to our pro traders that they can contact me on Twitter anytime they want. Uh, via private message and discuss their upcoming specs or their plans, ask questions, etc. That seems to be very useful to everybody. So just thought I'd let you guys know that's also available as part of the deal. Okay, good to know. Uh, thank you for joining me again this week, James. Uh, it was a great episode, lots of good chatter. Uh, I will see you next week. Thanks, Travis. We'll see you guys all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.